0: Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton.
1: All right, Dan, it's official. It is a love fest in East Rutherford with Joe Judge, the Giants, the fans, the media we'll get to that the media maybe it should be the media but maybe not all media members are (laughs) joining us in the love fest for joe judge but i am Uh, i think he's the real deal and i tweeted it at ryan o'leary if you want to check me out on twitter at ryan o'leary underscore between the o and the l i said you cannot go into seattle on week 13 with colt mccoy as your quarterback dan and beat pete carroll and russell wilson unless you have a program that defense is playing some great football right now and again you just can't beat seattle with Colt McCoy, you know, a backup quarterback. There's only a handful of teams in the league that could pull that thing off in week 13. The Giants pulled it off, and uh the Love Fest is off and running and I'm happy to be a part of it, Dan. It's
2: it's a fun time. It really is a fun time. I mean, the early season was such a grind and then, you know, you you heard me repeat it endlessly for like the first, you know, seven or eight weeks just take a step back, have some patience. There's progress. You could see it if you're watching this. These people are buying into what Judge is selling. And he's so meticulous about every single thing that his team is prepared for every single thing as a result. And we saw that. We saw that this past weekend when they had to go into Seattle, which is a notoriously difficult place to play. Granted, they had no fans in the stands. Without Daniel Jones putting in Colt McCoy, who hadn't won a game in you know years and years, <laughs> forever. And uh, you know they they went up against a tremendous run defense, ran all over the field. They shut down Russell Wilson, who was an MVP candidate just you know a couple weeks ago. And if you listen to Pete Carroll in the, in the post game, the man was just blown away. He could not. Understand how Patrick Graham and Joe Judge managed to coach this young Giants team, this inexperienced young Giants team. To a win over what was arguably at the time one of the best teams in the NFC. And like you said, it really is a testament to Joe Judge and his program and to the players for buying in and being patient when so many other teams throughout history would have packed it in and quit at one and seven.
1: No, full buy-in. Full buy-in. And we talked about the you know, the remember the MMA match between Joe Judge and Columbo, the fight? Right. Uh, the fight, and we were like, Man, is this gonna fracture the team? Yeah. You know, yeah. what how are they gonna respond? Well, Dan, they haven't lost since the uh since the blow up with Judge and Columbo that got the offensive line coach fired and all of a sudden Wayne Gallman looks like, you know, who he reminds me of like old school Arian Foster, a guy that nobody right. ever heard of. And all of a sudden he's like the best running back in football for one of them. <laughs> and Gallman just that guy's awesome. But we talk about the program. And what I mean by that is the Giants only scored 17 points. They only threw for 105 yards, right? Uh-huh. And they won this game on defense, and they won it by beating up Russell Wilson. They held him to a 78 quarterback rating. They came up with some huge turnovers, especially the uh, the fumble there. They, they came right. up with that fumble late. That was huge. They held one of the most explosive offenses. I mean, think of all the highlights we've seen this year, Dan, of Russell Wilson bombing it to Lockett, bombing it to Metcalf. The Giants held him to 4.7 yards per play. That's ridiculous. That is that is awesome. So all the credit in the world to the Giants. And everyone should be on board with this team. I don't know how anyone could not be loving this story and how great this is. The Giants have won 4 in a row and they're 5 and 7. But apparently uh, Mark Shalareth has something ro- <laughs> something's going on with Mark Shalareth. Now I'm new to this story, Dan, but I just want to read this I want to read this tweet that Shalareth put out there. And you got to tell me what the hell he's talking about. What is going on with Mark Shalareth? Congratulations to the Giants fans. Shalareth writes who single-handedly beat the Seahawks who are currently celebrating a Super Bowl championship in December. So <laughs> Shalareth is trolling Giants fans for being excited over a win over the Seahawks on the road, Dan? That keeps them in first place in the NFC East and in the hunt for the number four seed? What the hell is Shalareth's
2: it, problem? It's it's strange because he's not he's not the only one either. Uh, Sports Illustrated's Michael Silver has been like on Giants fans, and he's been all over Joe jo- jo all season long. It's almost like these guys have like, some kind of personal issue. As far as Schlereth goes, his blow-up after the game was of mm-hmm was really bizarre and it, it caught a lot of fans and pundits and writers, including Art Stapleton of USA Today, it kinda caught him off guard because Schlerth, you know, honed in on him at one point, unprovoked, you know, no no real reason for it. Not anything that anybody could understand. You know, the initial thought was all right, maybe this guy's just having a bad night and cool off in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But that didn't happen either. And you know nope. he kinda kept going for like twenty four hours straight after
1: yeah. the game. He's had a meltdown here.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I think you know what it, what it stems from, I believe, is you know, one he was really all over Jamal Adams when he was calling the game. Jamal Adams the greatest player who ever lived, you know, basically. It was how he was selling it. He re- he really lost it when uh DK Metcalf stiff-armed uh James Bradbury for the whole half a yard. Yeah, half yard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, best, right. And by I, the
1: I, way, the best I, play that Metcalf had all day was a stiff arm, and you got to give Bradbury and the defense right. credit for what they did. They held right. Metcalf in that stadium. But go on. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and I, and I think that's what kind of pushed Slareth over the edge is that, you know, he he oversaw that stiff arm to such a degree that he kind of got a little flack for it on Twitter and he kind of exploded after the fact, and he was upset because a lot of Giants fans and a lot of Giants writers, myself, Art Stapleton included, pointed out the fact that, you know, he could have kept the momentum going and picked up a couple of yards, but instead he decided he wanted to turn back and go at Bradbury and stiff-armed him. And, you know, granted, if you just watch it in real time, the stiff arm looks brutal, you know, he... he put Bradbury on his back. But when you slow it down and you watch it again and you watch it on film, what you see is Bradbury falls backwards intentionally to pull Metcalf down after just a half-yard gain and at the same time punches the ball and very nearly dislodges it from Metcalf's hands, which would have been a huge turnover. It's a play that Judge actually addressed with the media yesterday. It said that him and defensive coordinator Patrick Graham had talked about it at length and it really kind of highlights the intricate details of the game of football and how focused the Giants are on making every single move correct. And I think the issue with Slareth again is that, you know, he overhyped it as this burying of James Bradbury <laughs> when in fact it wasn't anything it wasn't anything like that and when that got pointed out I think maybe you know maybe it was, he just kind of felt like it was a shot at his ego and he kind of lashed he
1: kind of lashed out a little bit yeah no unfortunately for Shalareth he got that one wrong it was just the opposite Bradbury kept Metcalf in the building yeah he did he held him to 80 yards no real explosive game changing plays that Metcalf has become known for that guy's a freaking robot and I, I did yeah. like the little shimmy the transformer thing he did that was kind of cool I like I,
2: I kind of laughed at after he did that. I said, "Boy, that looked a lot like the ball in your arms, almost coming loose." There. Oh gosh, that was
1: that. That guy's unbelievable. I, I love him, but he I, is. I, he's I, a superstar, and like and yeah. that's the other thing too. You can't
2: take anything away from Metcalf. He's a great player, and nobody was insulting Metcalf. Like, hey, the Giants did a great job of keeping him in front of them. They took away everything deep, which is their strength, and they did exactly what they wanted to do as far as the game plan went. And I just don't understand why people got so upset over the fact that you know Bradbury took him down with a half a yard, and it wasn't you know this big posterized stiff arm to the ground. Like, you know, it was played up to be sometimes things look a certain way when you're watching in real time, but when you slow it down and really watch it, it's just, that's not how it plays out sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's a nice stiff arm, but how many points did you score Seattle, you know? I mean, Right, like, like, exactly. but like so he, I, I I'm obsessed with this now. I'm on the I'm on Mark Schaleris uh, Twitter here. Um Art, St- Art Stapleton tweets, tremendous play by DK Metcalf to faceplant James Bradbury. but Bradbury makes the tackle. But was also going for the football and almost got it. And Schaleris quote tweets that and says, "You're gonna cry?" <laughs> so, <laughs> this, this guy is out of his mind. That is awesome. I love angry Mark Schaleris. I'll take this all day. I'm I, I'm going to spend the rest of my day, Dan, reading through Schaleris's tweets. <laughs> This guy is hilarious. So well, anyway, there's a
2: lot of them in there. So, yeah, you got some, yeah, you got some time yeah,
1: some, to burn. Some good reading here. Some good reading here. Um, but, hey, look, there's a lot to feel good about about the Giants, and I think, Dan, you hit on it. The defensive game plan, Patrick Graham. I want to talk about that on the other side. Let's do that coming up next.
3: Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than
0: your friends sit up start startup These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini
4: from TheHuddle.com. I'm Corey Bonini of TheHuddle.com, welcoming you to week 14 of the fantasy football season. If you're still listening, that means you're likely in the playoffs. Let's talk strong plays to help get you into Week 15 action. This one isn't for the faint of heart. Jaguars quarterback Mike Glennon faces the Tennessee Titans. Only four teams have been easier to exploit, and six different quarterbacks have gone for at least 23 fantasy points versus Tennessee, including nearly 31 points from Gardner Minshew back in Week 2. If you've squeaked into the playoffs and are truly desperate, Glennon is a Hail Mary option. New York Jets running back Ty Johnson at the Seattle Seahawks. This is one you'll have to watch from an injury perspective, because Frank Gore left last week with the concussion. It's hard to see the Jets turning away from Johnson after the spark he gave this offense last week. While Seattle's defense has been easily exploited through the air this season, the ground game is catching up. Last week, we saw New York Giants running backs Wayne Goldman and Alfred Morris demonstrate this with some smash-mouth football of their own. Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Hunter Renfro versus the Indianapolis Colts. On paper, the matchup isn't appealing, but we saw last week Houston's Kiki Kuti went for 141 yards on eight receptions, and the Colts have been pleased to give up underneath to wide receivers if it means they don't let guys like Nelson Aguilar or Henry Ruggs uncork a long one over the top. As we've seen through up 2020, Renfro isn't involved very much unless the team is playing from behind. In that case, volume is what gives them a chance to matter against Indianapolis. Another recommendation that's worth trying but requires gamers to pay attention to the injury report, Anthony Ferkser of the Tennessee Titans. Starting Titan end, Smith Smith has a knee injury and Miss Week 13. It's unclear if he'll play at this time in Week 14 and if not, Ferkser belongs in lineups. He landed five of of seven looks last week for 51 yards and that line would have been better if backup tight end mccall pruitt didn't steal a touchdown from him everybody loves that on the verge of the fantasy football playoffs jacksonville has given up nine touchdowns in 12 games to the position and more impressively that has come at a clip of one every five catches for that alone first is a gamble in all leagues if you're looking for a tight end for more award-winning fantasy football news tips and advice please be sure to check out the huddle.com
3: This game, you know, I I think they
2: they did a really good job of doing some stuff with their coverage, you know, just trying to keep everything in front pretty much. They, you know, and, uh, you know, I think in the second half, we did a good job of getting the ball out and kind of having some plays where the balls coming out a little bit quicker, this and that. And so, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, unfortunately we had the sack. I think uh, um, Pepper's got me on one sack. Uh, We had just had kind of a big play and and they got me on that one, unfortunately. you know they they had some timely calls and stuff like that and so i think they did a good job you know they they did a good job of making some plays and Pressure and Timely pressures and this and that for against us.
1: It's always a pleasure, Dan, to listen to Russell Wilson after a game, isn't it?
2: I got to tell you, you know, given that he plays in a, in a different division and really the Giants see him, you know, on average once every four years, I very rarely have the opportunity to sit down and actually listen to Russell Wilson. But I watched his entire post game, post game presser after covering the Giants' post game pressers, and I got to tell you, came away extremely impressed with him. This is a person. Like we all know that he's a great football player, but listening to him after the game. Uh, not just talking about himself and his team, but talking about the Giants and sharing that respect and basically owning the fact that they just beat him was very, very refreshing. And I got to tell you, my respect level for Wilson went way, way up after that.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. I, I love me some Russell Wilson. I think he's he's great. And uh, he hits on it. He's talking about that defensive game plan. And while you know, yeah. Jamal Adams was all upset and as you said, Pete Carroll, it was like somebody stole his puppy. He was so stunned yeah. that, that, <laughs> that the Giants beat him at home. It held him to what was it? 12 yeah. points or whatever. But it was the defensive game plan and Patrick Graham and what the Giants were able to do. And it really did seem like one of those old Bill Belichick philosophies of just get the F back, keep everything in front of you, let them check it down, make them go on – 10, 12, 14 play drives to beat you. Eventually we'll get there for a sack and eventually they'll get impatient and throw us one. And that's
2: kind of what it was. That's exactly what it was. That was, that was the game plan from the start. It was, like you said, keep everything in front, force them to dink and dunk, because that goes completely against the philosophy of the Seahawks offense. And it goes completely against the way that Russell Wilson plays this game. So the idea was, is to make sure you, as Leonard Williams put it, put a spider web around him. You keep him in the pocket. You don't let him move around. Don't let him make plays with his feet, force him to dink and dunk go against the grain as far as their offensive philosophy and on top of that they disguised coverages and blitzes better than honestly better than i've seen all season better than i've seen any team do and quite some time and, and russell wilson he acknowledged that after the game you know he took his cap to graham and company and uh that's really all you could do like you you could sit there and make excuses all day long and say we didn't do this we didn't do that sometimes in the nfl you just get punched in the mouth sometimes in the NFL, the other team is just better than you, and that's just all there is to it, and kudos to Wilson for coming out and saying, you know what, the Giants just beat us this time
1: around. Oh, they 100% did, and in Patrick Graham's defense now, Dan, has allowed, has not allowed more than 25 points in the last seven games, and they're 5-2 and two over that stretch. They're just not allowing points. They're just not. It's so freaking impressive, and I don't, I didn't know a ton about Patrick Graham before You know, I started covering the team with you this year, so tell me a little bit more about him as a defensive coordinator and what you think he's doing so well this year?
2: Well, I got to tell you, Graham was with the Giants previously, he coached their defensive line a few years ago. And not that he did a bad job. He definitely didn't. He did, a, he did a good job. But the Patrick Graham that we saw then compared to the Patrick Graham that we saw now is like night and day. He has really kind of just come into his own. It's almost like he feels comfortable in his own skin. He feel confident in himself. He's kind of now has the freedom to call these games and create these game plans the way he wants to without having another coach or assistant kind of influence things because Judge does he just lets his coaches coach and that's like a big deal for him and Graham has been brilliant. I mean, his players call him a computer. He can recall an exact play from seven seasons ago in week three in the second quarter with two minutes remaining. It's honestly, it's it's really surreal to listen to. And, uh, you know, he really is. He's extremely impressive with the freedom to create these schemes and mix up coverages and blitzes and cycle in and out these players. Uh, He's really got it perfected. And honestly, as well as he's coaching this year, there's kind of like that fear in the back of my mind where, you know, this guy is earning himself the head coaching job in the NFL at this point and possibly after this year because he's he's just doing such a great job with a with a defense that's so young so inexperienced and like against the Seahawks, for example. I mean, he he's cycling in guys like rookies like Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown and Tay Crowder. These are late round guys in their first seasons in the NFL, and he's putting them in the perfect position to succeed. And I got to tell you, if you're an executive around the league watching the Giants, you've got to be telling your owner, Patrick Graham is the man you need to go for.
1: No, 100%. Yeah, he might not be long for uh, the Giants. He, he might get an opportunity elsewhere. Yeah. We'll see.
2: It's unfortunate. Yeah, but it he, is. He, if he does get that opportunity, no one can say that he has not earned
1: it. Yeah, I saw a tweet and I think a lot of Giants fans share the sentiment that we don't we don't want to lose Patrick Graham. He's having enough a year. And speaking of that defense, in, there's a big headline on the Giants wire about Leonard Williams from Joe Judge, quote, that dude is a man. That dude is a man. And I don't, if you, if you didn't know much about Leonard Williams and maybe you're a casual football fan watching the Giants-Seattle game in that late afternoon window, you'd notice Leonard Williams in this game with the hair yeah. and he's just like a <laughs> mammoth human being and the dude was... Like Russell Wilson was wearing Leonard Williams like a jacket. And I don't think he's a <laughs> jacket that you want to be wearing, Dan. It's no. not something that I would want to be wearing around. I mean, he was all over Wilson in this game. He almost had what, what do you have? Like two and a half or three sacks? Uh two, was, and a half, two and a half sacks, five quarterback hits. There okay. So yeah. So he was literally all over Russell Wilson in this ballgame. And uh he's a he's an interesting guy, right? He's on the franchise tag. I think the Giants have been Were they looking at giving him a long term deal or were yeah, they kinda of, Okay, tell me that story.
2: Well, first of all, of course, you know, Dave Gettleman caught a load of Crap for trading for Leonard Williams last naturally, year, midseason, naturally. and you know whatever everything Gettleman does is a lightning rod. Right, so what exactly. else is new? Yeah, yeah. Uh, very they did rest. try to... Exactly. Yes, that's for sure. But they did try to sign Williams to a long term deal this offseason. The two sides couldn't come to an agreement. But there was not it wasn't like one of those things where it's like uh, there was a conflict. They just couldn't come to an agreement. And the Giants are notorious for not negotiating contracts in the season for the most part. I mean, they did it with Graham Gano earlier this year. That's kind of a smaller deal. But they, they tend not to do that with their bigger name stars. So he's perfectly content playing this season out on the franchise deal. And, and you know, the plan for, from both sides is to get back together as soon as the season is over and, and try try to work out some sort of a long-term deal to keep them in, and I can't imagine a scenario at this point in particular where that doesn't happen because when you look at that defense and the impact that Leonard Williams has had, he's arguably along with, you know, maybe Logan Ryan and Blake Martinez and even James Bradbury to some degree, what has pushed that defense over the edge. And uh, there was a big emphasis this off season on Leonard Williams increasing his upper body strength uh, because how Dave Gettleman said it was that he's kind of like buzzing the towers. He's getting to the quarterback, but he's not necessarily bringing the quarterback down. So they added upper body strength. And now, not only is he dominating as far as the pass rush goes, he dominates against the run, too. He's just an all-around superstar at this point who has finally reached his peak or is nearing his peak uh, as far as his ability. And, and the bottom line is he's an elite player, and you, you can't let him go this offseason. He's a guy that you've got to keep
1: around. So, why are M- Mark Shalair at the why are you so mad, bro? Is it, the <laughs> N- is it because the NFC East is back, Dan? Have a little bit of swagger. There's a, it was a good weekend for the uh, NFC it East. It was. Let's talk about that and the Giants. Well, let's get back on the path because they just won a game that we had penciled in as a loss. So now yep. the Giants are looking even better. Let's talk about that on the other side. We'll be right back.
0: It's that time again for the line of the week the inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire.
3: Hello, I'm Esten McLaren of Sportsbookwire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 14 Sunday Night Football game between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Buffalo Bills. The Bills return home as two and a half point favorites against the Steelers who come off their first loss of the season, losing 23-17 to the Washington football team Monday night. Jeff, do the Steelers get back on track or are the Bills now contenders to win the AFC? Nope. I like the Bills here to win by more than a field goal. Head coach Sean McDermott is a defensive guru, and the Steelers have become a one-dimensional one, on, one dimensional offense over the past couple weeks. Also, they look kind of weak against Alex Smith in that Washington passing attack, which is not nearly as explosive as Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Again, I like the Bills minus two and a half here. I'm going to get back on the Steelers. This is a get-right game for them. James Conner expected back from the COVID list. That's huge. That makes them two dimensional. Once again, gives them that rushing attack. They've sorely missed. And there's just way too many weapons in that passing game. Give me the Steelers plus 2.5. They may, they may even win this one outright back to the Steelers to win on the road in Buffalo.
1: All right, Dan, we'll get, we got to get back to the scorching hot New York giants here. The first place giants that are now five and seven. Can you believe that? It's so awesome. That's, Crazy. But what do you think about the Washington bleeping football team knocking <laughs> off the Steelers? What do you think about oh, that thing?
2: Oh man, I got—I gotta tell you, like my buddy, my buddy Zach. And I, I very rarely bring in personal stories, but my
1: buddy Zach is a—it's um, a great place to do it. Go,
2: yeah, he, he's a Washington fan. He is. He's always been a Washington fan. It's not like he—he uh, he, he picks and chooses these teams, you know, based on where they are in any given season. So hes, he's a long-suffering Washington fan, and he—he uh, he was convinced that they were going to lose last night. And I told him, I said, honestly, I've, I've been watching the Steelers, and it's no disrespect Respect to the Steelers, they're not as good as their 11-0 record says, and I would not be surprised one tiny little bit to see Washington come out and win this game. And when they picked off Roethlisberger uh, right around the two-minute mark of the fourth quarter last night, I'm like, "Boy, I saw that! I saw that coming a mile away." Yeah, I said, I, "I'm not happy about it, but I, you know, I, I'm not surprised by it either." The bottom listen. Bottom line is the NFC East. There are a couple teams, Washington and New York, that are headed in the right direction, and they're not nearly as bad as they looked earlier this season. They both have good defenses. They both have capable quarterbacks. They both have good running games, even though Gibson is hurt now, and that's unfortunate for Washington. And ultimately, I think it's going to come down to these two teams to decide you know, to decide the NFC East, and, and thank goodness the Giants have that head-to-head tiebreaker because if they didn't, who knows how this would shake out. And again, we still don't know how it's going to shake out, but it does give the Giants a slight advantage.
1: I still think the Cowboys are a dark course but i think the, the giants now are just, well
2: they have to win they have right. to win they have to win on monday night now which you know as after, as of this recording that game you know has not taken place right right, right. yeah or They're, tuesday night the
1: I random say. ass tuesday night game yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you're not used to the schedule yet dan come on how dare you no it's a, what schedule it changes yeah. every day 100 yeah, <laughs> but the giants have the double head-to-head tiebreaker over the Washington yeah. football team so that's great and uh but anyway so This win over Seattle is huge, huge, just a big one. And now they open as a two and a half point underdog to the Cardinals at home, which which I find uh, interesting. I think I'm taking the points here because, you know, I know that Kyler Murray is a superstar, but I don't think he's very healthy right now. They've the Cardinals have lost three straight, Dan, including a loss to my New England Patriots. And I'm telling you, Dan, if the Patriots can beat the Cardinals, the Patriots right now can barely execute a forward pass. So if they can beat the Cardinals with defensive special teams and that thing, then I would be fine laying the points with the Giants. And uh, even if Colt McCoy is still the quarterback, and I, th- yeah. I know Daniel Jones is going to try to come back and they're going to give him a chance to prove he's healthy. But as we talked about last week, it's a hamstring, man. I'm at the point, Dan, I, I want to get your take on this. If I could choose between a 75% Daniel Jones on one good leg or a Colt McCoy for one more week, I think I'd go with Colt McCoy, even especially since they just got this win in the bag over the that, Seattle Seahawks. That Seons.
2: win right there could be what factors into that decision. Yeah. So you're go spot ahead. on with go that. Ahead. Go. If they had lost that game to Seattle, I don't think there's any way that they could have gone into the game against the Cardinals without Daniel Jones. The fact that they won that game against Seattle, on the other hand, it kind of gives them maybe a little bit of cushion when it comes to making that decision on Jones. Because now the game against the Cardinals, although important, isn't nearly as important as it would have been had they lost against Seattle. So I do think there's a cushion there. But the early indications are that Jones is actually in much better shape than people kind of expected him to be at this point. And, you know, he is a notoriously fast healer and all that stuff. But you have to weigh the risk down the stretch. Because if, you, if he goes in and gets hurt again, Against the Cardinals, that's basically it for him this season. That'll that'll be a wrap. So unless you're confident enough that he can go in there, not further injure himself, and he's able to protect himself uh, on every single play—not most plays, but every single play—then you can play him. But if you're not 100% confident with that, you can't start him. And luckily now you don't
1: have to can you win the game with Colt McCoy just not turning the ball over and throwing for 120 yards and I know not not throwing an interception in, in the red zone you know Colt McCoy let's, let's not do that thing if we could just do that I think the Giants could still have a chance but I, I like that you said Daniel Jones is a notoriously fast healer I, I just thought about like Batman you know with a Daniel Jones jersey on <laughs> with, the, with the wound healing and uh, I mean I would love to see Daniel Jones back out there healthy I just want to make sure he's 100% healthy Dan not 80% not 75% not risking a re that's right. going to linger and carry on into the playoffs, which is where right. I think the Giants might be headed. It's so that's, freaking it's, fun. That's, that's wild, isn't it? It's I so gotta fun. tell you,
2: I I think if the games were swapped, the next two games were swapped, and they were playing Cleveland first and then Arizona, I don't think there would be any question about Jones playing. I think he would just sit. But I think because it's the Cardinals and yep. not an AFC team the game carries slightly more weight than it would the other way. Definitely. So I think that kind of is going to factor into it as well. But I, I agree with you. It's wild. The Giants are 5-2 over the last seven. Those two losses came by a combined three points. One of them came thanks to an Evan Ingram drop. with catches that. They win that game. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of, I
1: heard I was just, you. Wait, I, was I heard just you say mention so, I was just the gonna, red
2: zone. Go ahead. Yeah, the red zone interception of Colt McCoy that went through the hands of Evan Ingram yet again.
1: I was just, you know, I had a different complaint about Evan Ingram. I was going to say, Dan, here's my weekly Evan Ingram complaint: third and nine, you don't know where the freaking first down line is. Ingram, can you just? I just watch this guy, and I'm just like, he's so frustrated, because he's so. I think the talent's there, Dan, but again, it's like third and nine. You got to gain eight yards. Like, right. Evan, can you just figure out where the first down line is? What are you? Come <laughs> so, on, man, run your route just one yard. Oh God, it was just so frustrating. It is it's,
2: frustrating. It is. It's, it's he's a maddening player because he is so athletic and so oh, supremely talented. But and then you'll see, like, he'll drop the pass that turns into the interception in the red zone, and then two plays later, when the Giants get the ball back, he's catching a ball that's a half an inch off the ground with his fingertips a a ball that he has no business catching and he holds it in for the first down and it's like why are you dropping the easy ones and then catching these ridiculous ones that you have no business hauling in it just drives you crazy with this guy
1: oh it's so good so hey dan do you think if i tag shalareth on twitter he'll listen to our (laughs) podcast? Oh, boy, I don't, he might curse us out. Who knows? Yeah, I hope hopefully he listens. That would be if he, if he would interact at all with me on Twitter and listen to the podcast and react at all. That would be I would be super I would be excited about that. I would love every second of it. And I'd be very thankful to Mark if he did that. So I'm going to try. I, I hope it happens. But I really did enjoy. I, I got to go, Dan. I got to let you go because I got to go read Shalair's uh, Twitter beef now. I got I to gotta catch up on that thing. All
2: right. Well, hopefully next week when we come back, the Giants have another another victory uh, in their pocket and uh Shiller Earth has tweeted out the Giants to our podcast somewhere along yeah, the way
1: that would be a huge boost to our ratings mark please help us out but anyway any anyway, hey dan enjoy the first place giants all right absolutely man four
2: more games to go i can't believe we're here it's a wild time